So there's a, uh, I don't know what you call it, an, an exchange making its way around the internet these days. Um, you may have seen it on the church's Facebook page. Yes, we have a Facebook page. Uh, just made that this week. Um, there's this, uh, this funny exchange going on. It begins with a question. It asks, if someone from the 1950s suddenly appeared today, what would be the most difficult thing to explain to them about life today? And the answer that they give is um, that I possess a device in my pocket that is capable of accessing the entirety of information known to man. I use it to look at pictures of cats and get in arguments with strangers. It is pretty difficult to wrap your mind around. We, we've got, and, and I'm guilty of this, I've got a, an iPad. It's this amazing device. Uh, it's capable of accessing in, in a split second the entirety of information known to human, humankind. And uh, I just had a friend who got one, and he asked me, you know, what are some good things, some good apps for it? And so I was just kind of critically looking at my own use of my iPad. And I think, well, I pretty much use it to look at Facebook, uh, watch some videos. There are maybe two or three really useful things that I did with it, uh, but mostly I just wasted time. Uh, you see, this is a problem. Uh, it's a problem. We've, we've got in our age today an abundance of information, just overwhelming amounts of information, uh, literally at our fingertips. Just you type it in and, and it's there. Uh, but, but we don't know what to do with it. Okay, we, we have tons of information, but we don't know how to sift through it and find the good stuff and then take that information and apply it to life. There was a, a magazine article in July 2008 in the magazine The Atlantic, uh, and the title of it was, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Now, that's a good title. That's a provocative title. It's a good question. Is Google making us stupid? And, and I don't know if Google's making us stupid, per se, but it's definitely exposing uh, a problem, a weak point for us. It's that we lack wisdom. You know, we can, we can type into a search box. We can get lots and lots of answers to questions that we have, but we don't know how to get the answer. We don't know how to get the right answer, how to sift through all the vast amounts of information that we can get to find what is the answer. You know, you, you can type in Google, you can hit that little I'm feeling lucky button, but is that, is that going to get you the right answer? I don't maybe. Now, I recognize everybody here is a Googler. Um, for those of you who aren't, you know, y y your first instinct isn't like mine to turn to the internet for your answers. Uh, this is still a problem for you. It, it's not a new problem. I thought it was fascinating in this article, Is Google Making Us Stupid? The author points out that even Socrates was worried about this problem. Okay, Socrates lived a long time ago. You know what he was worried about? He was worried about writing. There's this transition time from an oral culture to a written culture. And Socrates was really worried that with all that information at your fingertips, that people would lack the wisdom to discern what is right. Here's some, some quotes that were written down um, in, in this book about Socrates. He, he said he was concerned that people would be able to, quote, receive a quantity of information without proper instruction. That they would be thought very knowledgeable when they are, for the most part, quite ignorant. And that people would be filled with the conceit of wisdom instead of real wisdom. Okay, that was Socrates worried about the fact that things were going to be written down and you didn't have to memorize them before you could really know them. If that was a problem then, how much more so now? 
This is not just for people who use the internet. This is all, this is a human problem. It's an ancient problem. We've got so much information. But how do we get the right answer at the right time? It's a very different thing from information. That's wisdom. Now to, to, to that I say praise God for the book of Proverbs. Okay, praise God for the book of Proverbs. I, I don't know if you realize it, but in the Bible, kind of in the middle, so we're going to be today in Proverbs, there's a book, 31 chapters filled with, not information, but wisdom. It's a training manual to help us to understand how do we, how do we take all the information, all the things that we see in the world around us and, and find out what is right and true and do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, the right way. Praise God for the book of Proverbs. If, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to jump around a little bit in Proverbs today, but we're going to start at the very beginning of the book. If you're using those black ones in the pew ahead of you, in front of you, you that's uh, page 900, and, or not 900, that's Galatians, 527. It's kind of in the middle. If you find Psalms, just keep flipping it to the next one to the right. In the book of Proverbs, it, it begins with this purpose statement tells us what it's there for. It says, Proverbs 1, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And here's the purpose. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is what this book is about. This is the purpose statement. He's saying, here, here, here it is. Do you want wisdom? Do you want knowledge? Do you want insight? Do you want prudence? Are you young and you need to know how the world works? Are you immature, uh, simple? Do you need to understand wisdom? This is the book for you. Okay, so what we're going to do in the next three months is we're going to camp out in this book. We're not going to go line by line, but we're going to look at themes in Proverbs, different Proverbs as it talks about wisdom for various topics. So we're going to get answers to questions about sex and marriage, uh, things about how to be a better friend, how to have a better marriage, how to handle your emotions, how to deal with conflict, all this stuff that you could type into a search box and get a lot of answers, but probably not good ones. So what I want today to be is I hope that you can get as excited as I am, maybe at least half as excited as I am, about the study we're going to do in this book. And so what I want to do today is just walk us through five steps that hopefully will help you to get a little bit of this fever that I've got for this book. It, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a definition of wisdom, then some benefits of seeking wisdom, some risks of not seeking wisdom, the cost of seeking wisdom, and then finally a plan for seeking wisdom. Okay? Definition, benefits, risk, cost, plan. First, definition. What is wisdom? So here's, here's the one that I'm going to used throughout our time together. Wisdom is skill in the art of living in God's world. Wisdom is skill in the art of living in God's world. Now, I, let me break that down for you. So first of all, it's, it's about living in God's world. If you flip over a page or so in your Bible, it's Proverbs 3, 19, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. By, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. You'll see this over and over again in, in Proverbs, that God, 
created the world. He did it by wisdom. It means he did it with, with, with order and with structure. Uh, even in this little couplet here, you see that he made the earth, he made the heavens, he created the water cycle. Okay, these things that have rules, that have order and structure. There's a way that life works in the physical world. There's a way, there's rules and things about how stars work, how galaxies form. There's rules and order to the way the water cycle happens with dew and rain and evaporation and all that stuff. God created that by wisdom. Okay? So wisdom for us is, is, is recognizing the way that God has made the world and living in line with that just in a, in a very practical, physical sense. If, you, if you've got a, a large rock in your garden and you want to remove it, one way that you could do that is that you could get down there and you could use your back and your legs. Probably should use your legs. Lift your legs, not your back, right? So get down there real low. Use your arms, use your legs. Pull really hard. Try to get that rock out. That's one way you could do it. Or you could use wisdom living in line with God's creation. You could get a fulcrum and a lever and you could set it up there and you could put the lever under the rock and you could push down on the lever and you could pop the rock out. Okay, because that's how the world works. It's a physical, simple machine, right? We're familiar. I, you know what a lever is, right? You got this? I'm seeing dead looks, right? I know a couple. Okay, so it's, it's part of, God. maybe we need to work on that. Let's look at a little physical wisdom. We'll work on that. Uh, that's your remedial class, okay? I'll come back next week knowing what the simple machines are. Okay, now, so, so you, you, you do that. You, there's a, there's a, a way the world works. You could do it the hard way. You could, you could pull the rock out with your back and strain some muscles and really try to do it like that. Or you could live with wisdom, operating in line with the way God has made the world, taking advantage of the principles of leverage and pop the rock out with a lot less work. Okay? It's the same thing in all realms of the world because God created every realm of the world, not just the physical realm. There's a way the world works in the moral realm. There's a way the world works in politics. There's a way the world works in relationships and finance. In every sphere of this world that God created, it's God's world. So wisdom is identifying how God made the world and living in line with it. It's living in God's world. It also takes skill, okay? It takes skill. It's more of an art than a science. The word wisdom that's used here in Proverbs is used elsewhere in the Bible, uh, sometimes to talk about skilled craftsmen, so people who are wise in making tapestries, for example. It's, it's talked about as like a skill, something that you're, you're, you're good at. It's taken time, you've mastered it, you've accomplished that skill. Uh, so so it's, it's more than just knowing rules and following rules. It's, it's, it's understanding deeply how the world works so that in any given situation you know what the right thing to do is at the right time and the right way for the right reason. Uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever tried to explain uh, sharing to a child, but, but for me that's what came when you, when you try to understand like it's not about rules per se, it's about art, it's about skill. Because you can get a kid and you could try to teach them to share and you should, you should try to teach kids to share. Right? And so you, you tell the kid, look, your friend's coming over today, I want you to share your toys with them and that's good, right? You should tell them that. So, so then it's working out okay. And a little while later, your kid comes out crying because the other kid is playing with a toy that your kid wants. And your kid says, they're not sharing. 
And it's hard, right? It's hard for the child because you said share. You need to share. Sharing means that you, you let the other people play with your toys. And, and so the kids, but that, they've got a toy that I want, so sharing means that I get what they have, right? No, it doesn't. It's a little more complicated than that. It's not a rule. There's some skill involved. And, and you and I, we can look at a situation and we can, we can evaluate it and we can know whether it's right or wrong, whether that applies or not. But it's tough to articulate to a kid, at least for me. If you've got tips on that, pass it along. It's tough to articulate because it's, it's not so much always do this or always do that. It's in this particular situation with the particular motivations that you've got in the extenuating circumstances, this is what it means to share. It takes wisdom. It takes skill. So wisdom is skill. It's skill in the art of living in God's world. It's, it's getting to a place where you have a deep understanding of how the world really works such that you can do the right thing in the right time, in the right way, for the right reason. There's huge benefits if you can pull this off. Let's talk about the benefits of seeking wisdom. Still in Proverbs 3, if you go back a few verses in verse 13, he says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. You see these sorts of descriptions all over the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is the best thing you can seek after. That's what he says right there in verse, uh, verse 15. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is the best thing you seek after. Why? Because if you get wisdom, you get everything else thrown in. If you get wisdom, you get everything else thrown in. Now, he compares wisdom here to money because money is the thing that we often think is the thing, if you get this, you get everything else thrown in. It's a very common we think if we, if we just have money, if we just have enough money, then all our problems will be solved. If we just have more money, then we'll have everything. I'll have enough money, then I can have good health care and I'll have long life. If I have enough money, I can buy friends and people will like me. If I have enough money, people will be attracted to me. And I'll, you know, We think if I have money, it'll solve all the problems, but it doesn't work, does it? You can't buy love. You can't buy a happy family. You can't buy successful relationships. You know this. You can't buy inner peace. But wisdom actually does that thing that money promises. Wisdom is better than money because it's the one thing that does deliver every other good thing if you get it. In these few verses, he says in verse 16, long life and then riches and honor. So wisdom first, then long life and riches. You get pleasantness, you get peace, you get a good reputation. People call you blessed if you're living in line with God's created order, which is wisdom, right, you will find success. You'll find success and you'll find all the good things that flow from it. Now this is a, a, a great time to clarify something that we're gonna run into a lot in the book of Proverbs. And it's the difference between a principle and a promise. Okay. You understand Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's a book of principles. It's a book that says, this is how the world generally works. So we're not getting into exceptions by and large in Proverbs. We're getting into general rules. 
So when, when you think about it, this is, this is dead on, right? We, guys who are lazy drunks don't usually have much money. Uh, they don't live very long. They don't have a very good reputation. Okay, but, but guys who work hard, make good financial decisions, take care of themselves, do tend to have money and do tend to live longer and do tend to have good reputations. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about principles, not ironclad promises. And, and over generations, especially, the effects of wisdom really add up, and you see how true this is, that those who are wise end up with long life and riches and honor. Um, on, in, in my family tree, um, on the layman's side, uh, our family moved to this area in the 1800s. Okay? And for generations, worked hard, farmed, families stayed together, people lived rightly, following God, doing the right things, living with wisdom, such that when I look at my own life, I mentioned this before, I, that one of my life verses is, what do you have that has not been given to you? I look back at the heritage, the stream, the benefits of wisdom. I see the truth in this. When you live wisely and rightly, generally speaking, you see a heritage, not just in your own life, but passed on for generations of, of long life, of financial stability, of relational health. You know, I gotta confess, I feel like I grew up in a very good bubble. I did not realize how messed up a lot of this world is. There are real benefits. I'm not complaining, by the way. I want that for my kids. I want that for your kids. Okay? But there are real, tangible benefits to living a life of wisdom in principle. And, and there's another branch somewhere in my family tree. I won't tell you where. But of a group of folks who began to reject God and reject right living. And just within a couple generations, this branch of the family tree is littered with teenage pregnancy Trouble with the law, poverty, early death. I mean, this is, this is how the world works in general, in principle. There are great benefits to wisdom. Is that how it always works? Am I guaranteeing that if you live wisely, you will have a lot of money? No. Okay, and, we'll, and we'll get to that. But in general, in principle, wisdom is worth more than anything else because if you live wisely, you get the benefits of living in order with God's world. Now, on the flip side, what are the risks of not seeking wisdom? What is the risk? Um, this might be a little harsh, but here's what I said. Uh, you will remain a gullible fool, vulnerable to death. It might be harsh, but that's what it says. Okay, Proverbs 9. Let's go to Proverbs 9. What's the risk of not seeking wisdom is that you will remain a gullible fool, vulnerable to death. So in chapter 9, there's this image, this metaphor of, of wisdom and folly as two women, the woman wisdom and the woman folly. Folly is the opposite of wisdom. Okay, and they're both calling to folks. They're both saying, come, follow me, come, follow me. And so Lady Wisdom is calling and the good idea is to follow her. But we'll pick it up in chapter 9 and verse 13 where the woman folly is calling and say, come, follow me, come the, the way of folly. Chapter 9, thir verse 13. says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, or the grave. So you got this picture of a simple-minded person, which is not in itself a bad thing. In Proverbs, when you see that word simple or naive, that's just where everybody starts. It's bad if you stay there, but it's where you start. A simple person can either choose folly and get worse or choose wisdom and get wise. But here's a, a simple person walking, naive. And Folly calls out to him. She says, hey, come here. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And the guy walking along thinks, hey, that's got a nice ring to it. That sounds right. Yeah, stolen water is sweet, isn't it? Yeah, that makes sense. And he walks in, and he begins to go the way of Folly, but in the end, it's death. This is a picture. It's a picture of, of what it's like for us. When we get these messages in our world, there's a lot of messages of folly out there. Things that, that sound right. Now, now this guy, this, this, this thing that folly says, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's, it's stupid. When you, when you really look at it, it's It's stupid. What are you talking about? Why is stolen water sweeter? It's not sweeter. It's, it's just water. Uh, yeah, there's that thrill, right? I mean, you, you, you see the hook. There's that thrill of, of stealing something and getting away with something. But, but, but really, stolen water is no sweeter. In fact, as you think about it, it's worse because now you're going to be in trouble for stealing the water. Uh, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. No, it's just bread. You know what's really good is bread that you've worked hard for and earned. That's better. That's wisdom. But, but there's this statement. It just doesn't make any sense when you really think about it. But it's got a, a ring to it. It's got an allure. It plays to your, your, your base senses so that you think, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is kind of fun to steal stuff. Yeah, in secret. We get messages like this all the time calling to us. Look, no money down. Interest-free for 12 months. You can have it right now doesn't matter if you can't afford it. You need it. And it's practically free. Just go ahead. Let your anger out. You need to vent. You need to express your feelings. You'll feel better if you do that. Go ahead. Just look at that woman. Just let it, your gaze linger a little bit. It's not going to hurt anybody. It'll make you feel better. It's better than cheating, right? These things... They're all encapsulated by this idea. Sounded good at the time. Seemed like a good idea at the time. But in the end, they lead to death. And if you don't seek wisdom, if you don't fortify yourself with the truth of God as to how the world really works, you will be led astray by stupid statements like stolen water is sweet. You'll be a naive, gullible fool thinking, that sounds great. And you will find yourself entangled in the end in cords that snare you that lead to death. There's a great risk to not seeking wisdom. There's great benefits to finding it. There's risk in not having it. So why doesn't everybody seek it? None of us want to be a fool. All of us want to be wise. We want long life. We want life to work. Why don't we all seek it? It's because there's a cost. There's a cost. First of all, it's just hard work. It's hard. 
like anything good, it's, it's hard work. You have to do some thinking. And we're going to do some thinking in our series here because the Proverbs are, uh, they're Proverbs. They're short. They're pithy. Some of them are a little confusing or, or like riddles where you've got to use your brain to figure out what it means. So it's tough. It, it, there's a little challenge to it. And a lot of people are put off by the challenge. But I think the bigger thing, because we'll work through that together, but I think the bigger thing the bigger cost is that it's humiliating. That is, it costs you your pride. Uh, to seek wisdom can be humiliating. Um, it, because to seek it, you have to admit that you don't have it. <laughs> to seek wisdom, you have to admit that in some sense you are still simple. I have to admit that I'm still naive and I've got a lot of growing to do. So in that way, wisdom is one of those great insulting gifts, like when someone gives you a, a Weight Watchers gift certificate for your birthday. Which didn't happen, by the way, not for me. But you know, but but it's insulting. You're like, well, this is a, it's a gift, but to receive the gift, you've got to admit that you've got a problem, and that's how wisdom works. Um, we don't like to admit that we've got a problem. In fact, it's been documented pretty well that humans in general think that they are above average. And you understand how averages work, right? Half people are above average, half the people are below average, but by and large, when you survey people, everyone says that they're above average. Um, most faculty members rate themselves as above-average teachers. Uh, almost all high school students rate themselves above-average in social skills. This is a good one. Most people in hospitals, due to car crashes that they caused, rate themselves as above-average drivers. 83% um, of people are confident in their ability to make good decisions, but only 27% of people are confident in the ability of people they work with to make good decisions? What this is saying is we have a self-serving bias. We have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought and less of, maybe, maybe accurately about other people, or a little lower, but more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And, and it ha comes out in all sorts of things. The, the, the funniest one, I think, is that even when people have this pointed out to them, this notion that, that we tend to rate ourselves more highly than we ought, even when people have that pointed out to them, most people rank themselves above average in their ability to identify their self-serving bias. And maybe you should just do a survey for yourself. You're just sitting here thinking, ah, oh, I'm pretty good at that. I know when I'm overranking myself. You don't. <laughs> We're all horrible at this. We all need wisdom, but we, we refuse it because we think too highly of ourselves. Uh, that's the exact attitude that keeps you from becoming wise. You've got to admit, I'm below average. I am below average in wisdom. I'll just tell you that. I am below average in wisdom. There is so much that I need to learn about relationships and about finance and about work and about life. That's the beginning of wisdom. In fact, th this is why you see over and over again in the book of Proverbs the statement along the lines of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You get in Proverbs 1.7, you get a number of other times. You can look it up in your discussion guide. It's one of the questions. This is why it's, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because we reject wisdom when we're just looking at one another. We just look at other people. We say, you know what? I'm better than them. I'm doing pretty well. We don't feel like we need wisdom. But the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is, is seeing the Lord. Again, to, to taking your view off of other people to now looking between you and God. And it's impossible to maintain a self-serving bias when you compare yourself to God. 
you look at God and you see him as he is, not, not your made-up image of God as a vending machine or a nice old man with a beard who sits in the cloud, but God as he is, the God who is infinitely wise and powerful and holy and majestic and beautiful. And you look at that God and you have an experience of, of recognizing who he is. That's the fear of the Lord. And when you, when you see God that way, it puts you down, rightly. You become humbled. You assume the posture of a learner now. Because you see, oh, I'm not that great. God is great. And having humbled yourself, assuming the posture of a learner, now you begin to learn wisdom. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. We've got to be humbled by seeing him as he is. And us as we are, and recognizing that we have a lot to learn. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the gospel. To begin to fear the Lord, you've got to believe the gospel. Because when you get a sense of who God is for the first time, it should do more than humble you. It should actually make you despair. Okay? It should frighten the pants off you. When, when you get a sense of who God really is for the first time, it should scare you. Why? Because God is holy. Um, you could read a great homework exercise for you. Read Isaiah 6. This is an encounter of a man, a good man, a holy man, with God. And what happens when Isaiah encounters God is Isaiah falls flat on his face and he says, Woe is me. Woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. See, see when, you, when you begin to, to see the fear of the Lord, to see who God is, it doesn't just humble you, it should terrify you, because he is holy, and you are not. I am not. What we need is not just, just to learn wisdom. What we need is someone to take care of the sin that we've got, the offensive nature that we carry around with us that God cannot be a part of. We need someone to deal with our sin. And praise the Lord, God himself has done that for us. In Colossians, or not Colossians, in uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 30, it says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I don't have time to unpack all that, but but what he's saying is that we all are separated from God. We deserve to be destroyed by God. We deserve to be uh, punished by him forever because of all the wrong that we have done. But God in his great love offered Jesus as a sacrifice for us to live in our place and to die in our place and to rise from the dead in our place that we might be accepted and reconciled to God. So Jesus became for us righteousness. That is, Christ lived the life we should have lived. Jesus became for us sanctification. Jesus is the one who's working in us to make us more and more like Christ. He's our redemption, saving us from death. And importantly, he's our wisdom. He is the key to begin to learn wisdom. So wisdom has got wonderful benefits. It's got horrible risks. It's got some cost. The main cost is you've got to humble yourself. You've got to humble yourself before God, saying not only do I not know anything, you've got to say I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but by your grace you've offered me eternal life and I accept that. And Jesus then becomes your gateway to wisdom. 
He becomes your entrance into the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you've got wisdom, you've got to start there. You've got to start there. Wisdom. I've given you a definition, skill in the art of living in God's world. I've given you some benefits, the risks, the costs. Now, here's our plan. Got four parts. I want to help you. Get, I, don't, I don't just stand up here as the fitness coach and be like, get fit. All right, go, go do it. Okay? I'm not going to say just get wisdom. Right, go, go get wisdom. No, we've got a plan. Okay? We've got a plan. First, keep coming on Sundays. Okay, you got your schedule, you got your list, you see what we're talking about. Keep coming. Do the, do the hard work. Okay, there's a cost. Do the hard work of, of coming, of, of being here, of evaluating, of thinking, of listening. Even if you think the topic doesn't apply to you, because remember, self-serving bias. I have an above average marriage. I don't need this. No, you don't. <laughs> okay. Come on Sundays. That's step one. Two, participate in the discussion groups. Monday night, Wednesday night. Uh, you might be interested to know, when, when the book of Proverbs was used uh, by, by the Jews you know, in their, their training, it was, it was not read in isolation. It'd be a group of, of young men, lots of times, in a classroom with an older mentor or some others, and they would read through it, and they would talk about it, and they would argue over it, and they would uh, you know, say, how, how does this really work out in life? It's meant to be dealt with in community. Not just monologue, me telling you everything, but really wrestling with it. These things, these proverbs beg to be discussed and be worked out. So come on Monday night, come on Wednesday night. If you can't do those, get your own little, with your family or in your own little uh, group of somebody else. You've got the questions, you know, work it out, talk. Okay. Third, read on your own. Proverbs is a wonderful book. It's got this great thing that it has 31 chapters which means most months you could just read one a day and get through the whole book. There's so much in this book I'm not going to cover during our three months together. There's so much here. So just start today with chapter 7. Okay, it doesn't matter where you start. Start with chapter 7, read a chapter a day. You could get through the whole book of Proverbs three times in our series. Okay? It may be that there's things that you need wisdom for that I'm not going to talk about, but it's there. So read the book. And fourth, pray that God would make you fat. That's an acronym. Pray that God would make you fat. It might stick in your mind though now, won't it? Faithful, available, and teachable. This is an acronym I learned a long time ago about what the qualities of a learner are. Ask God to make you fat, to make you faithful. That is that you would stick with it. To be a learner, you've got to stick with it. You've got to be faithful. You've got to keep on chugging. They'd be available it's going to take time. Are you available to participate? Are you available to keep coming on Sundays, to keep participating in the groups? Are you available? And to be teachable. Say, I don't know it all. I'm willing to be changed. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to learn. So pray that God would make you fat. I hope that this is the beginning for all of us with a love affair with the book of Proverbs. I mean, I'm excited. Life is complicated. It's hard to know what to do all the time. Wouldn't it be great in your life, if in every situation that you face, you would know what's the right thing to do or to say at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason. The answers are here. I'm excited to look at them together with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for wisdom. 
You say in James, uh, a promise, not just a principle, but a promise that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of you and you will give it to him. So Father, we admit as a humbled people that we need wisdom. In so many areas of our lives, this world is complicated, but it's your world. And so we trust that your principles are going to help us to live in it. Father, give us wisdom. Give us the wisdom that we need and help us to flourish in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.